Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. You are listening to Inside the Tunnel, a Virginia Tech sports podcast presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. After a long bye week, we are back on the podcast, joined by Doug Bowman tonight, and he's got a fresh new microphone. Doug, how are you doing tonight? We are great, and I hope I'm sounding a little bit better. Uh, thank you to our pal Evan for investing in a, in a microphone here. Um, hoping that this improves a little quality here, at least in terms of the audio. I don't know about the content. No, the content and the audio are going up week by week. I should have my microphone plugged in next week. Um, just didn't have the cord for it tonight. Um, but overall, how was your bye week, Doug? What'd you do? Uh, bye week was good. Had a wedding on Saturday night, so I actually missed the the whole Notre Dame game, which I guess I was trying to catch, but it, guess it didn't turn out to be too too much of a too much of a game there. But basically, just laid around and watched the other teams play, um, which is different than having to watch Tech play every Saturday. Yeah, I will say that uh, the Notre Dame Michigan game. I thought it was going to be you know, an extremely grueling and competitive game, and it was anything but that. We'll touch on that a little bit later. Um, But I do want to talk about some of the games for the bye week. And I think most Virginia Tech fans missed it because when you're on a bye week, you're supposed to do anything other than watching football, especially who wants to watch ACC Coastal teams. But there was three games in particular that caught everyone's eyes uh, for Virginia Tech fans, and that was the Pittsburgh-Miami game, Virginia-Louisville, and Duke and UNC. And the significance of those three games were that if Miami beat Pittsburgh, if Louisville beat Virginia, and if UNC beat Duke, then Virginia Tech would control their own destiny for the ACC championship game. So I think there was like a 12% chance of all of this happening, and somehow it they all did. Yeah, and considering where Virginia Tech was after the Duke game, nobody nobody expected that. Um, but here we are, what, four weeks after, and, they, and everything falls into place to now where we're in November. And yeah, everybody's still talking about North Carolina and UVA as kind of the favorites, but Virginia Tech's definitely the one that, controls their own, own destiny, and when you think about how it happened, that Miami-Pittsburgh game was brutal, and just a classic, like, Pittsburgh noon game there, um, and then I don't even know what Duke was doing um, at the end of that game, where they threw the jump pass with the running back to get picked off in the end zone, um, but things fell into place there, and now, now we got five games to see if Virginia Tech can can hold on to, I guess, their destiny. Doug, I got to say, you're sounding super crispy tonight. Nice. And, That's what... <laughs> and I want to initiate you into the brotherhood of, of sounding good on this podcast. 
I want you to say something epic, just anything at all. That I have this one song that that starts with trumpets, the drums come in, there's angelic singers in the background. So anything you want to say, we can make it epic. Uh, go Astros. <laughs> there you go. That's going to piss off a lot of Nationals fans. Game 7, obviously, tonight. We're recording on Wednesday night. Um, but yeah, we can reel it back in. Talk a little bit about the upcoming matchup with Notre Dame. 5-2. and two. Losses to Michigan and Georgia, both ranked teams, both on the road. Notre Dame is an interesting team, in my opinion, because it feels like they were supposed to be a top 10 team the entire season, maybe a dark horse into making the college football playoffs. And, you know, they played close against Georgia. There was still hope that they could win out the rest of their schedule. They played close against USC, who isn't the USC of old. And then they completely get blown out at the big house against Michigan last week. Big game for both schools. They both hate each other. It's both two of the most historic schools in college football playing against each other. But this doesn't seem like the typical Notre Dame team. It seems like a, a lot of their prestige is relying on history. How do you feel about them in general? Yeah, they're still a pretty good team, but I don't think they're as good as as people it's people thought they might be this year or that certainly that Notre Dame fans thought they would be coming off the college football playoff appearance last week or last year and and then bringing back their quarterback Ian Book. I feel like their their offense hasn't taken the step forward that that they thought, particularly at the quarterback position. That's what you hear all week was people talk, uh, calling for, for, for Ian Book to be benched um, after that Michigan game. That Michigan game kind of feels like it was either really an indicator of that Notre Dame's not that good, but on the other hand, it could be just a complete like washout game that, that you really can't take that much for considering the rain that they played it in. It kind of felt like one of those games that in the rain, if one team gets the momentum, it's hard to stop. So which Notre Dame team, I guess, are we going to see on Saturday? Uh, I think playing at home obviously helps them, but um, Book is the guy that has taken a lot of heat, along with their coach, Brian Kelly, who's now lost a whole bunch of road games to Michigan this year, Georgia earlier this year, Clemson a couple years ago, Miami a couple years ago. So he's taken heat over getting his team ready to play, but I don't know if that'll be an issue necessarily at home this weekend. Yeah, and I will say Notre Dame 4-0 at home, obviously impressive when they're in South Bend. But I do want to key in on Ian Book. Um, I saw that in your preview, um, you mentioned this, and I looked at this separately uh, before your preview came out. But I thought it was interesting because Ian Book last year was kind of the guy that brought them to the college football playoffs. He was the guy that they had a little bit of a quarterback controversy and they're playing two quarterbacks. And then all of a sudden, Ian Book kind of took the reins and took that team to the promised land. And this year, it looks like he has good stats. He has roughly 1,500 yards, 15 touchdowns, two interceptions, solid QBR. Everything looks okay on paper. But I was trying to look at where he's finding success, and it looked like against the non-Power 5 schools, 
He racked up most of his success. He has 10 touchdowns, zero interceptions. And then in the five games versus Power 5 opponents, and it's not just the Georgias and Michigans, it's Louisville and USC who's having a, a tough year and throw in Virginia in there as well, that he only had five touchdowns in five games. So it doesn't seem like he's being as effective against Power 5 competition and his his accuracy has also taken a hit as he's thrown like roughly 56% of his passes are completions. So it, it seems like Ian Book is the key to this offense, but he's struggling right now. Yeah, he kind of feels like Ryan Willis almost. Um, if you look back to last year, he was the backup to Josh Jackson that everybody wanted to see. And last year, Ian Book was the backup. So I think it was Brandon Wimbish who yeah. transferred to Central Florida. So he was the guy everybody wanted to take over for Wimbish. Takes over for Wimbish, takes him to the college football playoff. Comes in this year just like Ryan Willis did with high expectations. And he hasn't quite made the the jump, I guess. And um, now Notre Dame fans want to see their backup, Phil Jer- Jerkovic. I'm going to butcher that last name. But... Uh, yeah, it's interesting the similarities there, and definitely the. I think that's probably the big issue is how he's performed against the P five competition and um, not throwing a bunch of touchdowns against them. Um, I know one of the things I read all week was how he, for whatever reason, was not throwing the ball downfield against Michigan. So he's not he's not taking those chances that you would think a senior quarterback would take um, at this point of his career, and. Um, you know, in those P5 games, he's only throwing for, you know, 160, 170 yards because of that. So they're definitely not getting the kind of production um, that they were looking for out of that quarterback spot so far. And then outside of Ian Book, it all starts up front on the offensive line. I think when you look at the big difference between Notre Dame and everyone else is the big uglies, the guys in the trenches. It seems like Every year they have guys that are heading off to the pros and just restocking that room with talent. But big news out of last weekend, Tommy Kramer, one of their one of their leaders, one of their best overall players on the offensive line, looks like he's gonna miss this game with an MCL sprain. Outside of him, you know, what are the big challenges with this offensive line of Notre Dame? Yeah, they've you know, they've gotta replace him. He's a multi year starter. I think he had I think he was their most experienced player. Um, with something like 28 starts in his career. So they're going to go with two two guys at right guard, and I feel like any time that you're now replacing your starter with you don't have one guy that's good enough, you got to try two of them. Um, that's certainly certainly something to watch there at right guard. Right tackle, Robert Hainsey's they probably played their best, at least in the first half of the year. Um, but they're big, and they're, you know, their left side – experienced um, they're both over 300 pounds a senior and a junior over there so i think if you're going to look at a side of their offensive line to to kind of serve as their anchor especially when they might have a question mark at right guard it's probably going to be the left side yeah i think virginia tech's defensive line will definitely try to expose whoever is playing in place of kramer you know the cohesion and gelling together can be tough, especially for a quarterback looking to find his groove. Um, another note that I found interesting is that it seems like Notre Dame on the at the skill position 
is focused on a few guys. And one of those guys is Tony Jones, the running back. Um, he has 571 yards rushing for 6.5 yards per carry, which is pretty insane, and four touchdowns on the year. Uh, he's questionable to play in this game. He bruised his ribs. Uh, Brian Kelly said in their press conference that he is practicing this week, which suggests that he'll likely play. Um, but again, that's a serious injury that as much punishment as running backs take, you know, a rib injury is something that, that could be very serious. And maybe they overlook Virginia Tech and want to rest him for this game, uh, much like Virginia Tech kind of keeping Keyshawn King safe. But what do you see out of Jones? And if Jones isn't good to go, it looks like Notre Dame doesn't have too many options behind him. Yeah, Jones is it's going to be interesting. I feel like if I had a rib, in, rib injury, um, I would be out for far longer than one week, um, particularly when I'm going to be carrying the ball and getting hit every single play. So, I mean, Jones is their their workhorse running back, I guess you could call him. I mean, he's 225 pounds. So he's a load to bring down, um, but it almost feels like if he's got a rib in- injury, he's not going to be. Is he going to be running as hard as he normally would to break those tackles? I think that's something to watch. They've been talking about him playing even at the very end of that Michigan game. It sounded like kind of like how Fuente has been talking about Hooker since the UNC game. Is it really not being that big a deal? Um, so we'll see, but um, you know they got two other guys, Jameer Smith and Jafar Armstrong, who are they're both bigger backs too. They're both over two hundred pounds. Um, Armstrong's coming back from an injury this year, so he hasn't played much. I think he's got like three carries for three yards, or maybe that was what he did last week against Michigan. But he hasn't had much success since he's come back. So is this his game if Jones is limited, um, or? You know, do they just use their three three big backs here? They're all over two hundred pounds to just to just go right at Virginia Tech over and over again. Um, especially when you you know we just talked about Ian Book and his struggles throwing the ball. You know, do you just run the ball forty times and eventually wear Virginia Tech down at home? Um, I think that's that's that certainly could happen. I will say part of the reason last year was such a big blowout for Notre Dame over Virginia Tech. Dexter Williams rushing for over 170 yards, had the 97-yard touchdown run. It seems like none of these guys are really in the same uh, category maybe as as Dexter Williams, a guy that's now in the NFL. But it seems like they're all big, powerful. I mean, when we're going to talk about this Notre Dame team, you know, they're set up to be in the Big Ten. When you look at the ACC, it's fast, it's, you know, super athletic, but these guys are just built different at Notre Dame. Um, but it seems like in order to get the type of production that made it such a blowout last year, um, it's going to be tough to find that production in the running back room. Yeah, I think you talked about that 97-yard touchdown run where Dexter Williams just broke through the line and then ran away from the Tech defense. I don't feel like I don't feel like these guys will be able to run away from the Tech defense. Like I forget who was trying to chase. Uh, Williams down last year came up short, but like I don't think Jones is going to be pulling away from Caleb Farley or Jermaine Waller um, for a 97-yard touchdown run. So um, if they can keep them bottled up at the line of scrimmage, and then 
you know, maybe you tr- maybe you dare book to beat you downfield. I think that could be that could be a recipe for success. Outside of of Tony Jones, two guys that caught my attention: Cole Komet, the tight end, big tight end, six five, two fifty five, two sixty. Uh, looks like an NFL caliber tight end already. Already has a ton of production. And then, really, their number one wide receiver, Chase Claypool, six uh, four and two thirty. So all these guys are just super big. Uh, what do you see out of those two guys? Yeah, they're basically both tight ends, I guess. Um, Komet is one of the best tight ends in the country. He's going to be an NFL guy, and I don't know how Virginia Tech is going to guard him in terms of. I mean, I guess the theory is you could bracket him, but that's easier said than done. And at the end of the day, he's six six, so he can box somebody out or you know fight, go up and win a battle in the air for the ball pretty easily. Um, and then Claypool's kind of the same way. We've talked about Book not throwing the ball down the field, so you know they're mostly going to be used on shorter, intermediate routes. Claypool, they're going to throw to him on the sideline on those kind of back shoulder jump balls, and he's going to. It's going to be a physical day for Caleb Farley as long as he's healthy after he missed uh, the second half against UNC and, and Jermaine Waller. In terms of just having to defend that for four quarters, um, we'll see. I mean, Michigan. I think they were helped by the rain and limiting those two guys and. Um, they're far and away book's favorite targets. So uh, if, we'll see if, if Virginia Tech's secondary can hold up in terms of just keeping those guys under wraps. When you're bringing in the Virginia Tech defense and comparing how they're going to play against this Notre Dame offense, obviously a lot of big plays we've seen in the Miami game, Nikosi Perry throwing for a ton of yardage, uh, Sam Howell at UNC throwing for a ton of yardage. It seemed like both those teams had a lot of speed on the outside and they were able to manipulate formations, kind of confuse the back end of Virginia tech and run right by them. Whereas it seems like this Notre Dame offense is not really a team that wants to keep pushing the ball downfield. They're not going on uh, three play 80 yard drives. It seems like they're very methodical. They're getting six yards per play, looking for out routes really trying to wear down the other team. And it feels like their advantage in this game is wearing down a smaller Virginia Tech team. Um, so I want to ask you, how do you think that Virginia Tech's defense will will fare against this type of offense? Because it seems like this is the first time they're really being faced with, with this challenge. Yeah, it's going to be a battle in terms of, especially as we get in the second half, in terms of just holding up if it's a, if it's a close game and Notre Dame and Notre Dame can stay balanced and or even stay heavy on the run, um, I think that's going to open up a lot in the second half for them. Um, I just don't see if if Tony Jones is running it for his twenty fifth and twenty sixth carry, and that offensive line has been grinding it out on the ground in the fourth quarter. If you know, I don't see a guy like Eli Adams or or even Dax Hollyfield really. Um, being able to stand up on defense for that long against that kind of attack, so I think Tech's got to get got to get ahead and force them to play from behind, um, and then you know 
just swarm to the ball if they're going to keep eight people, seven, eight people in the box, and maybe you make it so, you know, it's not just one guy bringing them down in a gap somewhere. It's more, you know, it might be Ashby the first one there, but then it's Diablo coming on on top of them to finish them off. So um, it'll be a challenge, I think, for Virginia Tech. I think, I think definitely the bye week came at the right time to get everybody as healthy as possible. I don't know. I said this in my preview, but I don't think if they played this game last week with all the injuries that it would be remotely close. So um, we'll see, especially in what's going to be some cold weather up there, how Virginia Tech holds up into the second half. Looking at defensive assignments and kind of pairing guys on Bud Foster's defense to the Notre Dame offense, I'm looking at backers specifically and – does this feel like a game where we see Dax Hollyfield more, in your opinion, or do you think that it's going to be a healthy balance between both Hollyfield and Alan Tisdale? I kind of feel like it's more Dax and that Tisdale is more he's more athletic, so Tech likes to use him when they're playing more like slot, quick type guys, and you know Notre Dame doesn't really have that if if that backer is going to be guarding. Cole Komet, like he's not going to run away from Dax Hollyfield, so you can kind of play him, play Hollyfield more, knowing that he's not going to, he's not going to be chasing around a guy you can't hang with if he's guarding the tight end, and he can also still give you that that help and and run defense. So I think it could be more Dax, especially with Tisdale coming off um, an injury. So, but you know, then we've seen situations this year where. They just split 50-50, so maybe it's a little bit of both. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think we do see more Dax this week. I feel like Tisdale would provide a great matchup against Cole Komet and kind of keep him in check. He has better length. He has better coverage ability. But then again, you know, if they're sending him out there for how many snaps in a row and if he's blocking most of the time, then I just feel like Dax is the more physical player around the line of scrimmage and would hold up better against a Notre Dame style offense, trying to pound the rock as much as they can. So I think it'll be very interesting. Yeah. Dax has got a, you know, he's might get the running backs coming out. You know, it it all depends on who they're going to try and throw on commit. If it's Dax or Chamari Connor, Diablo. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see because clearly Tisdale can, can bring a little bit. I don't think he's that much worse than Dax is against the run. Um, so we'll see. Ultimately, when you look at this team, the way Virginia Tech's defense can beat Notre Dame's offense, it has to be putting everything on Ian Book to be the secondary. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you know, we talked about Komet and Claypool's really the only guy out wide. So do you just leave a guy like Farley out there alone on an island and force Book to, you know, beat you down 30 yards down the field consistently and then throw seven, eight guys in the box so you can bring blitzes from all over the place and pressure them? Um, I think, you know, you, everybody loves to go back to that Ohio State defense that they used to beat JT Barrett where they basically just said, you know, JT Barrett beat us downfield if he can, and he couldn't. So this is an opportunity where, you know, Tech just sells out on the run on early downs, um, and then and until at least until Ian Book beats them over the top, um, then obviously you got to make an adjustment. But I think 
I think that's definitely, particularly when you're talking about as physical as Jones and Armstrong and Smith could be, I think you just commit all the numbers to the line of scrimmage. And if he, if he wants to take a shot downfield, you dare him to. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Moving to Notre Dame's defense, they're ranked the number 47 overall total defense. They have a bunch of great talent all over. It seems like they're a very solid unit. Maybe not as good as they were last year, but still a ton of talent. Uh, Guys like Asmar Bilal, Leads the team in tackles with 44, has six tackles for loss. Uh, Jalen Elliott, a guy many Virginia Tech fans will remember, uh, that ultimately ended up at Notre Dame and is playing safety for them. Uh, Julian Okwara with five sacks this year. And then Drew White, uh, 40 tackles, seven tackles for loss. So it seems like they have talent in, in all three phases, on the defensive line, at linebacker, and in the back end. What are your general thoughts about Notre Dame's defense? Yeah, they, their experience, I think they've got five seniors, six juniors, or maybe it's flipped around playing. Um, I mean, when you compare that to Tech's defense, who didn't start a senior um, against North Carolina, it's quite a difference. Um, it also feels like they're, you know, they're better than their numbers suggest. I mean, you mentioned their leading tackler has got 44 tackles. And then Virginia Tech's leading tackler is Ashby at 70-something. Um, so there's quite a difference there in how they play, I guess. Um, but, you know, their numbers in terms of their total defense numbers and their rush defense, obviously, it's giving up 303 yards to to Michigan will will do something to your, to your stats. But, I mean, guys like Juliano Aguara, Khalid Kareem, Drew White, you mentioned Bilal. How'd you say his name? Asmar Bilal? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there we go. Um, they're good players. It just feels like they're not, you know, whether they're playing good competition. Um, this is still a defense that kept Georgia the 23 points in Athens. So um, I think you got to be really concerned about a, a veteran defense playing at home um, is probably the biggest concern for Virginia Tech compared to what how young Virginia Tech is in particular. I think that's a huge advantage for, for Notre Dame um, when you're throwing out, you know, they rotate four senior defensive ends. And so you look at Virginia Tech's offensive tackles, they're going to have their, their hands full all day. Yeah, and speaking of the offensive line for Virginia Tech, I mean, how concerned should Virginia Tech fans feel about this offensive line, young and all still trying to get their feet wet, it seems, having a guy like Austin Cannon step out there, having two freshmen out there. Um, you know, it seems like they're playing well at the right time and, and gelling together, but this Notre Dame defensive front looks different. Yeah, this is their biggest test. And, I mean, that's just what I was talking about when, you're t- when you know, Notre Dame's experience is going to be a huge, 
huge factor in this when you're talking about Aquara and Hinnish. I mean, they're playing juniors and seniors up front, so you've got a you got a 22 and 23 year old guys going against you know 18 year old Doug Nestor, 18 year old Brian Hudson, Lucita Smith if he comes back, Austin Cannon, a former walk on, Darisol obviously can hold his own against anybody, but I just think I just think the that experience gap is going to be tough to overcome. Then moving on to the linebackers. A lot of guys there that are making plays. Like you mentioned, it is a little weird. I couldn't really figure out why there's a lack of production, I guess, that their leading tackler would have 44 tackles. I guess it doesn't really matter. It seems like all aspects of the defense are are kind of generating production. Uh, so it comes from everywhere that it's not sourced into one particular player. Um, but when you look at Virginia Tech, and it seems like Keyshawn King will play in this game uh, alongside Deshaun McLeese, you know, two kind of scat backs against this big physical front seven of, of Notre Dame. How do you think that Virginia Tech can make sure that both Deshaun McLeese and Keyshawn King can be successful in the ground game and kind of keep up what they have been the last few weeks in the run game. Yeah, that's that was one of the big things I noticed when you watch a Notre Dame game versus when you watch a Virginia Tech game. Just the like we talked about Tony Jones and his running style versus Deshaun McLeese is just completely different. How how much how how much smaller McLeese is and what that means. And when you're talking about the big front, at least the big front seven that Notre Dame has, um, you know, McLeese, clearly you're not going to be able to just run McLeese and, and Kashawn King into the line of scrimmage over and over again. Like you might be able to do with Tony Jones and have some success. So I think you're going to see more of what, what the last few weeks have looked like with Hendon Hooker uh, or Quincy Patterson, a quarterback where you're using where just that threat of the quarterback running keeps some of those linebackers at home. It'll keep the defensive end on one side at home. Um, just that threat of misdirection of the quarterback keeping, I think is huge. it's been huge for McLeese the last couple of weeks. And if they can get King back completely healthy, um, I think that'll continue. Yeah. And we had a really good discussion today on the VT scoop message boards. I urge you all to check it out. Um, but we were talking about the Dalton Keene package and having him in the backfield. So as much as it's Deshaun McLeese and Keyshawn King as the primary guys that a lot of people look at as running backs, now it seems to be Dalton Keene as well taking a few carries in that North Carolina game, staying back there with Quincy Patterson to be his personal pass protector. Um, and so I, I feel like even with Hooker uh, coming back that – we're going to see a lot of Dalton Keene in the backfield. And even one poster in particular mentioned that why not have a formation with Quincy Patterson, Hendon Hooker, and Dalton Keene? And I'm all for that. <laughs> that would It would get everybody's attention. I'm not sure how successful it would be because of that reason. Everybody would be keeping an eye on what's going on back there. But, uh, I mean... It's it's part of the reason why Quincy Patterson was so successful against North Carolina is when you put 250-pound Quincy Patterson back there and then you put 250-pound Dalton Keene also back there. I mean, that's a lot of beef there for, for you know, 
especially when you had five offensive linemen in front of him, he could probably open up some holes. I just feel like for Justin Fuente, I know he doesn't like to have two quarterbacks on the field or even rotating quarterbacks throughout the game. But it feels like even having Quincy Patterson come out in the second half of, or I guess at the end of the first half, but mainly wearing down North Carolina in the second half of that game, that he seems like a guy that you could just put out there in packages and kind of use his physicality to do just that. And then use Hendon as more of the guy that's, if he's going to make plays, it's outside of the pocket rather than in between the tackles. Um, It just seems to give more versatility to the room and who knows, maybe they can do a little bit of trickery and, you know, throw a, a, a screen pass behind the line of scrimmage to Quincy Patterson who chucks it downfield to Trey Turner or Damon Hazleton. I mean, that would just be a dream come true. I would love to see that some more unique looks out of the Jerry kill offense, I should say. Um, but yeah, I just want to point out that we talked for months now about Quincy Patterson not being able to throw the ball. And now we're putting in a formation where not only does he throw the ball, but he also catches the ball. (laughs) Well, look, here's the thing. There was this narrative created because there's a lack of access into the program. You know, everything we were hearing was Ryan Willis, Ryan Willis, Ryan Willis. And that Hendon Hooker still a year away and Quincy Patterson still developing. So when they come into the game and, you know, now we're referencing past podcasts, but when we're talking about Hennon Hooker and what to expect, it's like, I don't know. He's thrown two career passes. And, and all of a sudden, he looks like the answer at quarterback. And when he goes down, still Virginia Tech can win a game against a team vying for the Coastal title with Quincy Patterson, who's never seen extended time as a passer. Granted, he was more of a runner, but it's just like that narrative has quickly shifted now where it's like even if – Quincy and and Hendon are are bruised up. It's like you even have Ryan Willis to throw a pass in there. Now, I don't know who wants to see that anymore, but it it seems like they're all viable candidates at this point. Yeah, we heard all for the last year some change about how Hooker and Patterson had a long way to go throwing the ball, and then I guess it kind of lowered everybody's expectations, and then Hooker gets in, and you're like, oh, he's pretty good. Um, and then you, Patterson comes in, and you're like, "Oh, like he's remarkably competent as a as a as a quarterback." And um, you know, I think Hooker obviously needed that week off after to give his leg uh, a chance to snap back into place or whatever it needs to do. Um, but I think it was huge for Patterson in terms of clearly he wasn't didn't have that many plays to throw the ball against North Carolina available. So now did you get him in the two weeks since then? Did you go from six passes that he could throw to 12 passes? I think that in terms of if we're talking about him being able to come into this game as a running threat, he's also got to be a, a throwing threat. So do you throw a pop pass now with him or or some kind of misdirection, kind of like, the pass you threw to Davion Robinson right before the the long touchdown run. Um, I think anything you can do to to expand his ability to throw the ball um, makes if you do bring him in to wear down Notre Dame makes it that much more effective. Now I will say this: I think Hendon Hooker will probably play the entire game, but 
in the slight chance that Virginia Tech gets up, and let's say they're up, you know, by a touchdown with five minutes left, I would not be surprised to see Quincy Patterson in that same package against UNC, just power running down Notre Dame's throats with, you know, Dalton Keene in the backfield with him. So I think there is a strong possibility that we see both. Maybe not in that exact scenario. Maybe if they're still down, they'll explore away. But I, I think there's, you know, there's a chance that we see both. Yeah, Patterson's obviously a huge power guy running the boys, but Hooker's still a really good runner in his own right. He's a little more shifty and can pick up. You know, he's always like nobody ever hits Hooker solidly and forces him down immediately he's always making like the one little shift right at the end of a run where now he can fall forward for another couple yards so you know i don't know if patterson in the second quarter is the answer to bring him in for like three plays to run right at the notre dame defense but certainly like you were talking about late in the game when you're just trying to milk the clock if virginia tech is trying to milk the clock at that point (laughs) um if you're just trying to get Notre Dame to burn timeouts at that point. Um, yeah, I, I put him in the shotgun and have him sprint to the right and then cut up field. Now I do want to go into predictions. We're starting to, you know, talk a lot about Virginia tech, Notre Dame, and uh, maybe a little more about Virginia tech, but that's our expertise. So I want to hear from you. What do you think this game is, is going to bring? Um, and be careful not to let down too many Virginia Tech fans. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, we talk. It's all going to be decided by the offensive line and the defensive line. And I talked to earlier about the the experience and the age of the Notre Dame defensive line, and I think that's ultimately going to be the difference. Um, Virginia Tech's offense with Hooker is really, really good. So I think they could. They if they can. I mean, this is going to take a the best Brad Cornelson game that he's called to date to win this game. Um, Cause the offense is going to have, it's going to, they're not going to be able to beat them with simple plays and kind of the same standard plays that they're going to have to be creative and use misdirection, use the full playbook. So, um, but really I just don't see enough consistency against this experienced defense. And then when you come back the other way, what Notre Dame can do with their big offensive line um, and controlling if, if Jones is there controlling the game on the ground. Um, and that's even before you even start talk about Notre Dame playing at home where they're much better than they are on the road. I just think it's going to be an uphill battle. Um, yeah, I don't think Virginia Tech's going to win. Do you want to put a final score on it? Sure. I'll make something up right now. I'll go, <laughs> uh, I'll go Notre Dame. 39, Virginia Tech, 27. Okay, so still some points in South Bend. Obviously a lot of points for Notre Dame. I think 17 and a half is crazy. Yeah. I'm with you there, and I was just about to touch on that point. So the spread right now is 17 and a half in favor for Notre Dame. I get it. It's a ranked team. Not a lot of people know what to expect out of Virginia Tech. Obviously, they've had their struggles against Duke, but then all of a sudden they look good, three-game winning streak. Um, yet it's close games against UNC and Miami. Um, but I just feel with this Notre Dame offense, I think it's blown out of proportion. I think the Notre Dame defense is very solid. And like you mentioned, they're playing a lot of good teams. So I think 
you know, they're 47th in total defense, but I think they're closer to a top 25 caliber defense than they are what they are right now, just because they're playing so many tough teams. Um, and, and, you know, their out of conference schedule is against, you know, I guess everyone, but uh, of tough power five teams. So I think when you look specifically at this Notre Dame offense, Ian Book has been struggling. Does he struggle against Virginia Tech? I think there are ways that they can make him struggle, especially with the speed in the back end. If Caleb Farley is playing um, and, and can continue along with Jermaine Waller, I think they can make it a really tough day for Ian Book. But the only way that I think that Ian Book sees the full package is if they can't get their ground game going. So the biggest matchup for me is can this Virginia Tech defensive line hold up against this offensive line? My my gut tells me no. Um, I think Rayshard Ashby and Dax Hollyfield can have, you know, games of their lifetime, but it really doesn't just depend on those two guys. Uh, and, and then outside, you know, Chase Claypool, obviously a threat in the red zone. Um but I think, you know, he'll be locked up for most of the game. And then Tony Jones, it's really, you know, he's the player to watch, really. Um, you know, on on offense for Virginia Tech, uh, I do think it's going to be tough for them to score points against this Notre Dame defense. Uh, I did look at the weather. I think it's supposed to – it said slight snow showers. It's going to be cold. I mean, already? It's, you know, it's, it's crazy. Snow in the morning and then – Right now it's clear in the afternoon, but I mean that snow is gonna stick around. Yeah, and, <laughs> and and like this Notre Dame team is like built for snow. They're built to be power runners on offense and then shut you down and wear you down on offense. So I feel like, you know, Hendon Hooker, can he put in a strong performance? I, I think that's what we all want to see. I think this is a major test for Virginia Tech to kind of prove where they are as a football team. I think if they lose by more than 17 points, I don't think that's going to happen. But if they do, I think we should take a step back from from maybe projecting them into the ACC uh, championship game at this point. Um, again, this is like a fun game for fans. It's a chance to improve on the season's mark, beat a ranked team at their home. Virginia Tech won there two years ago. I just Unfortunately for Virginia Tech fans, I don't think that's going to happen, but I don't see it being a high-scoring game for some reason. So I'm going to pick Notre Dame 24, Virginia Tech 17. All right, we're we're pretty opposite there in terms of Yeah, we points, at least uh I guess I guess you're seeing a, a better Bud Foster performance here. Yeah, I mean, I I just don't think that Notre Dame is as threatening with the big plays we've seen out of North Carolina and Miami. I think those were – I'm crediting most of that due to speed, whereas yeah. with Notre Dame, I feel like you kind of know what they're going to do. They don't do a lot of trickery, but it's hard to stop what they're doing. Yeah. The, I mean, the other thing is you think about it. Theoretically, Virginia Tech, Notre Dame's not a threat to throw down the field. So they're going to – so you're going to put – you're going to let Farley and Waller guard their guys down the field, dare them to throw the ball over the top, give them a little safety help. But we talked about bringing eight guys in the box. If you're looking to make Ian Book make mistakes, you know, putting a bunch of guys in the box allows you to bring blitzes from all over the place. It's not going to, you know, as North Carolina is throwing four guys running down the field at you, 
you need defensive backs back there guarding them basically but you know maybe a little less responsibility and pass coverage for guys like connor who's been a huge pass rusher this year diablo reggie floyd devin hunter if he's getting back in there so you know maybe you're onto something and virginia tech creates that havoc in the backfield where um they can have success yeah, I really hope I don't eat my words there. And, you know, Notre Dame pops off for 39-plus points, and <laughs> Virginia Tech only scores 17. Um, but, again, maybe I'm taking the slight snow, early morning snow showers a little too literally and, and thinking that it's going to be very tough to throw the ball. It looked like there was going to be intense winds as well. So, it's going to be like 35 degrees with like 20-mile-an-hour winds. Yes. Yeah. Brian Johnson's nightmare. <laughs> yes, which I mean, it plays into Virginia Tech's hands if he's if they're not comfortable with him kicking thirty-eight yard field goals. They don't have anything really to lose in this game, which is, I mean, like you're going to lose the game by 10, 12 points maybe, but it's not a conference game, and you just come back the next week and get ready for Wake. So I mean, if you if if you're going to go for it. Might as well have, well, well, it was really windy as an excuse when you're going for it on fourth down or faking a field goal or something. Yeah, and I will say my personal expectations for this game, obviously no Virginia Tech player, coach, or anyone associated with that program is going in with the mindset that, yeah, we're going to lose this game. I think they're going to try to go all out to win the game. We've talked about in many podcasts that if Hendon Hooker isn't ready to go or if he, I guess in the last podcast we talked about, you know, with his health in question, it looks like he's healthy. He's practicing. He's going to play. But, you know, a, a lot of us were even suggesting that maybe sitting him for Quincy Patterson to, to, to learn more this week. And, you know, that's not how they're treating it. So I personally just want to see them open up the playbook as much as possible for Hendon Hooker, maybe throw a few wrinkles in there, uh, see where they can find success. Again, this is going to be perhaps the biggest challenge of the year. So put everything on the line. You know, don't play scared. Play to win the game. You know, maybe you make mistakes, but, you know, attempting to do things, throwing the ball down the field, building up that chemistry with Damon Hazleton, Trey Turner, maybe getting James Mitchell in, in some new spots, you know, things for the offense to improve on. And the defense, I mean, it's all about, you know, trying to to conquer Notre Dame, this historic program, and a, a team that, had their number the last time they played. I mean, they didn't play well against that Notre Dame team last year. So, you know, for a lot of those guys that are back this year, it's all about trying to prove a point. And, and uh, you know, this is a big game for them, big motivation. You know, it's going to be on NBC. They want to be proud of something. This is kind of their moment. Yeah, I will say they're playing on NBC. is going to be cool. They do a really good job at I think Tariko is the play-by-play guy. Oh yeah, and he's fantastic. But the one the people are going to freak out when they see the extra, the weird sideline camera that NBC's been experimenting with, as opposed to the. Tra- have you seen any? Of I have not seen it yet, so I don't. As opposed to like the traditional, like what every play looks like, they mm-hmm. they like. I don't know how to describe what angle they take, but you see more of the play continuously as opposed to like having to pan down the field. So it's, it throws you off um, the first time you see it. And 
they they basically use Notre Dame games as like a test ground for things to eventually move over on the Sunday night football. So I think you might see it a lot, and it'll be a little it'll get it'll be weird at first, but you know it's a cool angle. Yeah, uh, I mean we'll see it. But you're saying that no Dusty Dvorak high fives will be shown on the broadcast for this week. Well, Doug Flutie's the color commentator. So he's like a huge Notre Dame guy. So I think. Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully they don't show those angles anymore because that made a lot of people upset. But anyways, yeah. any final thoughts, Doug, about this game? Um, I'm heading up there, South Bend. So we'll be, we'll be in the stadium. I was up there three years ago when Virginia Tech won. So hopefully my luck continues there. Um, and hopefully we get a close game. Uh, you know, I'll say my thirty-nine twenty-seven prediction is, uh, you know, a close game late, and then a, a, a late pull away by Notre Dame. Nice, nice. I'm I'm jealous of you going up there. I will not be up there, but I will be warm. So that's, I guess, you know, I'm not going to be. <laughs> that's the consolation prize there. I will also mention, and I don't know how I forgot this, but VT Scoop Tech sideline doing a tailgate at Notre Dame. I don't know exactly where it is, but if you want details to that, if you listen to the very end of this podcast, check out VT Scoop. It's one of the pinned articles on top of our homepage. You'll find all the details there. If you want to find a huge Virginia Tech crowd, you will be able to find them. But Doug, that's it for tonight, my man. I think uh, I think this headset thing might work out. Yeah, and it'll be cool with the angelic music behind it. And hopefully yeah. next week I'll have my microphone too. That's cool, and then we'll be actually legit. Yeah, for next week, we'll be legit. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+.